Hello and welcome to Backchat, your podcast all about scoliosis, yoga and back care. My name is Christine Jaregiberry. I'm a yoga teacher, creator of the Yogaberry Yoga for Scoliosis community and YouTube channel. And this show is all about supporting you on your scoliosis journey. So if you're looking for practical advice and inspiration on how to manage the condition with yoga and movement, then you're in the right place. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Back Chat. Welcome to Move with Scoliosis. So this is your channel for those of you who are new here um, for everything, movement, yoga, Pilates, um, for those with scoliosis. And I can see some of you already tuning in, which is fabulous. So um, if you are able to, obviously, make sure to ask your, your questions today. So I will, um, I do have a guest on here today. And we will be talking about um, spinal fusion surgery, especially. So if you have any questions about this topic, make sure that, um, that you ask them, ask them in the chat. I obviously have my own questions because I'm really, really excited about um, talking to my guest today. But again, if you are new here, um, I have been doing this work since ooh, 2015, but 2017, I think, was when I started to post YouTube videos. So on this channel, you will find a huge variety of practices. So it's, it's kind of my own practices that I've shared, that all the things that I've learned over the years from myself and um, suffering from scoliosis myself, but then also working with clients, obviously, as a yoga teacher. And this will be people with mild, scoli mild scoliosis, very severe scoliosis, and those with spinal fusion. So there is a huge amount of content on this channel, um, which is why I have created a little quiz um, and that's a, a new feature. So you can find that in the description where you just answer a few questions and then basically it will take you to the content that might be most relevant for you. So that is just something um, for you to explore. But let me get on to introducing our guest today. So we've got Dr. Fadi Sedra here and he is a spinal surgeon um, at the Royal London Hospital. And let me bring him on. There he is. <laughs> Hello, how are you? <laughs> Hello, Christine. How are you? Thank you very much for having me on, uh, on your uh, channel at YouTube. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time, obviously, to, to talk to me today. And um, we originally met at, a, at an event. Well, I met you. You didn't meet me at that time, but I, you, were, you were presenting obviously for the um, Scoliosis Association. And I thought it was just such a, um, a nice and very down to earth presentation that I thought I must get him on to this channel here because I always get asked questions um, about spinal fusion surgery. And obviously I haven't had it myself. Um, it's not an area of my expertise, but I think it's it's very, very re relevant. And I obviously work with a lot of people that have had spinal surgery. So thank you so sure. much for being here. No problem. <laughs> thank you for having me. 
Good. So I thought maybe we start with a little bit of kind of a, um, an overview and especially obviously, so there will be, um, I assume, teachers or so yoga teachers, maybe Pilates teachers or other movement specialists as well. Um, tuning in, there will be people who are maybe considering having spinal surgery um, and then people obviously who are trying to avoid it as well, <laughs> as much as possible. So I was wondering, um, how has kind of that spinal uh, fusion surgery changed over the years? Because I think last time we spoke, um, you were saying, I think it's only about 50 years old, this, uh, yeah. this whole yeah. surgery. Yeah. 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 So essentially, um, I mean, we uh, we started off with um, uh, quite a few years ago, actually, with what's called the Harrington rod, which um, which involves just a single um, inserting a single rod that has two anchor points, one in the top of the spine and one at the bottom of the spine. And this was the earliest uh, generation of um, uh, instrumented uh, spinal fusion. Um, obviously, at that time, it was revolutionary. And um, however, we saw over time, I still treat some patients with Harrington rod in, in the fact that it did not uh, really respect the harmonious curves um, in the back. So it ended up fixing the backs in a flat position. And that obviously, that's not how um, our backs are designed to function in, in real life. So with all the problems that comes with it, years after the fusion um including back pain and what we call a flat back syndrome mm -hmm. and then gradually we moved into what's called a segmental instrumentation where we understood the spine mechanics a bit better and we um, we now know that the spine is actually formed of segments and you need to address every segment as a mobile segment on its own accord and and then the um, the pedicle screw systems were developed, uh, which involves inserting screws at every um, or at most levels of the segment that you're fusing, and that obviously allowed us to recreate the spine curves and respect them again and put this fuse the spine in a functional position that respects the biomechanics and the weight transmission and so on and so forth, and we saw a massive. Um, a massive um, a change or a massive improvement in the outcome of fusion surgery. Uh, uh, and to the extent that, you know, with all the uh, kids that I operate on for scoliosis and so on and so forth, um, they get mechanical back pain if the uh, if the deformity is uh, goes beyond or progresses beyond a certain degree, uh, this mechanical pain just dissipates after the procedure because we've of, um, uh, we took away the source of pain, but we also put their spine in a more functional position where they can transmit the weight of their head, upper limbs, and also to their lower limbs uh, quite naturally, um, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So we moved on from the Harrington single rod into a segmental uh, fusion at the moment, which is which is obviously quite an improvement um, in the in the design in the materials, in the um, recreation of the spine curves, and obviously subsequently in the overall outcomes. Mm, yes, yeah, so that, very interesting. So um, Harrington Rod for, for any kind of uh, yoga teachers out there maybe, 
what sort of time frame are we looking at? Like, when would those so it, people have had the surgery? So that would be around the 60s, 70s and, and 80s. It depends where the surgery was done, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. And then there is a transitional period in between where we uh, used what's called sublaminar wires. So we used wires attached to certain points in the spine and we fixed that to um, uh, uh, rods before we moved into the uh, pedicle screws. But the patients would know uh, what they had. Um, right. They would they, they always come in clinic saying, um, I had a Harrington rod put in and so on and so forth. Mm. So they, they, will, they will know um, what was put in. They will have x-rays if you see um, a straight a straight rod in the back. I mean, having said that, obviously, it did it did fill in a gap. As in, you know, in these days, if you leave the um, if you leave the uh, the scoliosis to progress, that would eventually lead to other problems like respiratory function embarrassment and and severe mechanical pain and so on and so forth. So, not to say that it was it was a it was all bad. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at, at that point in time, it did sort a problem. Yeah. Uh, but seeing the 10 years, the 15 years, and even the 20 years uh, follow-up of, of Harrington Rod overall, it did cause some issues in, in, these, in these generations. Mm. So the Harrington Rods are basically the ones, the people that cannot really, don't have any movement really at all in their spine. Is that, is that right? Well... well to be honest with you, I mean, even even with the segmental instrumentation, we took away, we take away some of the flexibility. Mm -hmm. But this is another improvement in the spinal in the in the recent generations of spinal fusion is that we always endeavor to um, fuse less segments of the spine. In the Harrington, in the in the um, in the generations who had Harrington rod, there was no much uh, choice in terms of they ended up fixing. Um, a bigger proportion of the spine and um, stiffening it up subsequently. So with fusion, the spine is stiffened up, all right, but it depends which portion of the spine do you, do you include. So at the moment, with the increased knowledge around um, uh, how, the how the different types of scoliosis behave, um, we have the opportunity to uh, fix or fuse a smaller portion of the spine. Right. Right. And also, we've seen the um, with the long term uh, follow ups of patients who had uh, fusions down into their lumbar spine and fusing uh, uh, a substantial proportion of their uh, lumbar spine, which is supposed to be the flexible part of the spine. Now mm -hmm. we try as much as possible uh, to refrain from fusing most of the lumbar spine or even get into the lumbar spine. So you would. Here's something like a selective thoracic uh, fusion, where we try uh, not to get into the lumbar spine at all as much as as much as possible, and this would again leave few flexible discs for the patient to be able to function on. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Because for the well, for overall balance and movement, um, it's it's obviously much much better if you can move that part of, of your spine. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Absolutely mm. right. You kind of answered my question as well about um, the, uh, the 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 curvatures obviously that that you're flattening or that were flattened before, maybe not so much anymore, but I, I see that 
in, in, in yoga and Pilates, we, we sometimes talk about the neutral spine position in our, in our movements. But I always find that people who've had a spinal fusion, that kind of goes out the window <laughs> because, because yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. it is all a little bit, it's all a little bit different. And especially if people have had a thoracic fusion and their upper back might be quite flat, um, yeah. it, everything works just slightly, slightly differently. Absolutely. I mean, the obviously the, the the ideal scenario is that the scoliosis is not severe enough to have uh, to have fusion, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if we fuse only the top part of the spine, which is the thoracic spine, which is splinted by the thoracic cage, and there isn't much movement there. Um, um, I, I, ideally, they they do pay with their flexibility just a bit, right? Um, but I, I mean, I always quote one of my patients who uh, used to be a professional dancer, and um, unfortunately, he he had a particular subtype of scoliosis, which is mainly within the lumbar spine, and um, and then he was he was quite he was quite severe, and I told him, well, he will continue to progress. However, you need to understand that he, he might be. Um, you might need to think about different career because once I fuse your lumbar spine, um, your dancing career will probably go out of the window. Mm -hmm. um, the The guy was uh, he was he was um, he was very uh, um, insistent that he will have the surgery done and that he will make it work. And he actually made it work. And he came to see me a few years after, and he continued to dance despite the fact that I I. Uh, stripped him off or most of his uh, most of his flexibility I guess what I'm trying to say is it all depends on the um, enthusiasm and keenness and what you want to do with your life and I always um, I tend to encourage my patients to push the boundaries a bit more uh, to try to achieve a bit more to try not to uh, succumb to the muscle because eventually after these surgeries the muscles might get a bit deconditioned as mm -hmm. you know yeah. and um and and that, that's where you guys come in in terms yeah. of you know yoga pilates trying to uh, squeeze every single degree of of flexibility out of uh, my patient's spines and uh, i really um, I really cannot under um, uh, um, thank you guys enough in terms of because you, we complement each other and I like to see it that way because mm -hmm. it's no point me showing excellent x-rays but my patient has not achieved what they wanted in life and there's no way that they can achieve that without uh, someone like you and, and your colleagues who can help them recondition their muscles Mm. which is which is very 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 doable i can push from my side but i can only direct them to, to show them uh the, the right path and it's up to them to take it or not but i i've seen it i've seen uh, so many um, of my patients who went down that route of rehabilitating their back and pretty much they went back to sports they mm. went back to their uh, life they went back to their activities they don't even feel that they've had uh, surgery. They went back to running even high impact exercises. They've been, I have patients who've been running for years then since they had the 
uh, uh, spinal fusion. They're training for marathons and stuff like that. I, I've seen all sorts, Christine, to be honest with mm, you. But amazing. it is down to the uh, personal uh, view of life and what they are willing to do and the decision to achieve and to make sure that this type of disease or surgery or whatever is not going to stop them from achieving what they want to achieve. Mm. So is there ever anything where you say, that's not for you, don't do that? Or do you kind of say, um, go on with your life and do the things you want to do and your fusion will tell you <laughs> what you So essentially different from one patient to, to the other. It depends mm -hmm. again, uh, what type of deformity they had in their spine and what they are willing uh, and and what type of um, where where did I stop with my fusion? Essentially, mm -hmm. the critical time is probably the first nine to twelve months after surgery, um, where the spine is is uh, fusing and the um, um, the surgery is taking as as, a, 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 as as we say, if you like. After that, the patient is pretty much free to do what they want to do. But for right. example, if they um, there are things we, we have to set the expectations, Christine. For example, um, I've recently seen uh, two pa two young patients who are in football academy, all right, and um, and they have scoliosis and um, and they need fusion surgery. So we know from literature that if we go uh, below L two, for example, in the fusion sprinting becomes bit challenging, bit difficult. So it's not mm -hmm. about me telling them the, what to do and what not to do, but it's it's really setting the expectations right. Mm. Okay, um, because sometimes the as I said, careers are involved there. So if he's in football academy, aspiring to have um, uh, a career in in football. Again, it is not black and white in, in, in most occasions if they should have fusion surgery or not. And sometimes it depends on the patient and what they do and what they aspire to do. And it's always a conversation with the patient. Mm. And I always support my patients um, with all their decisions. All right. For example, for example, one of these patients, I, he didn't come back to clinic. The other patient continued to come back and see me. And yeah. we, we settled to follow up this curve and see where it settles but particularly that it's not causing any issues at, at the at the at the minute and because it is a, sort of a, a gray zone if you know what i mean as in mm. it, it's not a very severe deformity we can sit on it for a bit um i, I said uh, he he was very um compliant in what i said i said you, you will need an astringent uh, course of uh, physiotherapy and you need to change a li lifestyle a bit to involve a bit more yoga and pilates into your daily uh, uh, routine in order to keep your muscles in shape once mm. you let that go then the back pain will start and then it all goes to pieces and mm. it's the good on him he's been following this so far and things are, are going well uh, so that's what i'm saying about supporting my patients to achieve what they want to achieve it's not mm. all about taking patients to theater and operating them and producing good x-rays if you know what i mean yeah yeah so so this is really leads in well with with my next question how do you um kind of how do you decide or that you might because obviously you don't make the decision for them i guess you you are suggesting 
um, that yeah. one option might be to to go down that route and have surgery. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to spinal deformity, it's 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 not really easy because there are mm. so many factors uh, in play at the same time, including um, the magnitude of the curve, the shape of the curve, the type of curve, the position of the curve, but also things around the patient, how old they are, how much growth are they left with, and um, and also what what they do in life, what they are aspiring to do, and how much is this curve problematic mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, to them. And the and the the we have to piece the puzzle together, if you know what I mean. All right. And in, it all depends about, you know, listening to the patient, examining the patient. And there is no place in uh, spinal surgery for any rash decisions. Right. We take our time. We meet several times. All right. We discuss together. We get to know each other very well. All right. And um, I always tell my patients, the younger ones, that this is, um, this is a, a doctor-patient relationship, which is likely to continue for years. All right. Mm. Um, and um, and over time, I do understand patients well. I mean, um, for example, I had um, I, I met one of my patients um, uh, recently in a clinic. She was a, um, a young uh, girl who is um, moving into uh, university and she has a moderately severe, moderately severe curve, one that we can treat. Um, um, conservatively or surgically, depending on um, uh, how the patient sees it or wants it, or and then she kept, or she always kept quiet. But for some reason, I could see in her eyes that she might want to have it operated on. And I insisted uh, at one point. I said, "Okay, fine. You know, it has not progressed over time. It might be." Um, it might be the time that I discharge it from clinic. We have followed it for a sufficient period of time and it didn't show any signs of progression. Parents were obviously happy with this decision, but the, and then the, as, I le- as I was leaving the clinic room, um, I, I just I actually came back, sat down, and I said, well, listen, I don't feel that you're satisfied with this. Please do let me, let me know what you're thinking. And I insisted, kept insisting up until she opened up and she was actually cosmetically very disturbed by the by the curve. And mm-hmm. we ended up, you know, changing the conversation completely. So that is what I'm talking about in terms of having a, a, a doctor-patient conversation about what is troubling you with this curve and how it is affecting you. And I, at the end of the day, we together make a decision on how we're going to address it. Equally, mm. I've seen a 17-year-old recently who has a moderately big curve, but she's not at all bothered by it. And we ended up saying, okay, let's let's watch it for some time. Keep it at the back of the head that I might need to, uh, we might need to consider surgery if, if it progresses or not. Mm. Um, so it's not always black and white. There are so many yeah. factors in play but it all the key is the tailored um, approach for for every uh, every single patient if you know what i mean like it's mm. it's it's not one size fits all yeah sure is there kind of a, is there um i'm just thinking about those people maybe who had who decided not to have surgery 
and then uh, maybe later on in life they're having more problems or they find it starts to progress is there kind of a benefit of doing it early rather than later or can you even have a surgery later on that's a, that's an excellent question so there is an incre increasing reports in uh, the scientific literature about early management of uh, scoliosis curves but only in 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 a neuromuscular disorders or in patients with neuromuscular disorders uh, but it's completely it's a very particular subset of patients where they have um, um, uh, disease within the, the disease that affects the muscles or the nerves um, there is usually some learning difficulties and so on and so forth involved um, and with time the general health starts to deteriorate a bit and uh, therefore there were the the studies that were published uh, not very recently few years started off a few years ago says that there is something to be said about catching these curves early because um, where the patients are much healthier um, and fusing it um, and allowing the patient to uh, pursue a, a healthier more comfortable life Mm. However, in um, uh, when we speak about adolescent idiopathic scoliosis, where there is no uh, issues uh, with the nerves or the uh, muscles, it's a it's a slightly uh, different kettle of fish, where we um, where we have to be very careful with the with the decision making. Um, at the end of the day, the curve has to uh, pass a certain um, level or a magnitude or a degree where we would start having conversations. And again, if the pay, it depends on where the patient is in terms of skeletal maturity. For example, if I see a 40 degree curve in a nine year old is different from seeing a 40 degree curve in a, a, a 14 year old girl or a 15 year old, a 16 year old boy, um, the latter has it's more or less clearly uh, mature so mm -hmm. in the younger kid i would say well this has to be addressed sooner rather than later and we have to really be aggressive with this curve otherwise uh, there will be some there might be some detrimental effect on on the breeding on the lung growth and so on and so forth but in the 14 or the 15 or 16 year old kid we can have a we can have a slow paced conversation where we say okay it's a 40 degree curve it's a it's a gray uh it's a gray zone we can follow it up um there is a particular style of of life um that should be pursued in terms of keeping active keeping keep exercising keeping your muscles always in in shape and that could could keep the back pain and all the other bits and pieces at at bay mm. and so what yeah sorry Go ahead. Yeah, and then and then I just leave a note there that you know I'll see them once, maybe once every year, and examine them clinically and say, listen, I'm here. Um, my colleagues are here. We're always ready to address it because we didn't find any difference, to be honest with you, if I address the curve at the between addressing the curve at the age of 16, 17, and the age of 20, 21, 22. Mm -hmm. um, 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 the the issues comes when you know uh, if it, if it is a much bigger curve, and then we say, well, we might need to have a different conversation here. That we might need to think about fusing the spine because it will it goes in beyond forty five or fifty degrees. It sort of goes into autopilot, as in it will grow by uh, a small percentage every year. 
And there is something to be said about catching it now rather than in 10, 15 years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I think this kind of range, I do see that quite often, actually. My Most of my clients are, are older. Um, so let's say we've got like a 40 or 50 year old who's got kind of a, a 50 degree curvature. Is this something uh, where you say they, well, we just monitor it and see what happens? Um, or is this something that where you say, no, we need to, we need to kind of address this early or can they go and live a long and happy life until they're 99 and it's fine? <laughs> so that, that's again, an excellent question. So essentially what are they are troubled with? Okay. Mm. Um, if, if, uh, if I see uh, someone in his fifties or sixties with back pain and scoliosis, which is not uncommon, um, I, I do see them, uh, I, a few of my patients are fit this category. I say, what is troubling you with your back? If it is back pain, then we need to find where the back pain is coming from and address it. Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm, a, uh, I'm a spinal surgeon. I'm trained to, to do spinal surgery to a very good level, I would say. But the impact on the patient is something different, if you know what I mean. All right. Yeah. So those patients, those guys who come to you to seek help with yoga, Pilates and stuff like that, if I if I operate on them, that takes them out of your uh, rehabilitation program for quite a while. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to balance the risks against the benefits quite carefully. All right. As they say, we we have to uh, be careful with any decision that we make at this point in time. And I treat the when I treat their pain and push them back into rehabilitation, persevere with the conservative option. I think that has a much better outcome with regards to um, um, these patients. Yes, they have to be under some sort of a, a medical uh, supervision, as in get themselves checked probably once every two years. I say, well, once every year depends. Um, Again, it depends on the uh, how they are bothered with it. You know, mm -hmm. if it is pain, I can find where the pain is coming from. I could treat it. I, I could make them more mobile, and then I can push them back into physical rehabilitation and make sure that they pursue a healthy lifestyle. And then, and then life goes on. Um, mm. The what I'm trying to say is, um, fusion surgery is not always the answer. Right. I do it a lot. And I and um, 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 and I operate a lot, but I also operate on patients who understands the pros and cons of having this procedure done, and what are we looking at at the other end of this uh, of this uh, procedure? All right, mm -hmm. and then have a decision decision made. And also, we have in the older age group, it's always better to consume all conservative avenues before um, considering. Um, um, a fusion surgery. And one last mm. thing I would say in this respect is um, it's it, it, nowadays we do not treat patients as a single, a single medic or a single professional. Right? We treat patients in a multidisciplinary, um, in a multidisciplinary environment. Okay. Because these patients would have a multiple um, uh, requirements as in 
particularly those who have been you know you have a first-hand experience of that any patients with scoliosis scoliosis is always in the background of their lives if that makes sense right mm -hmm. and they might have so i i see patients who um were offered surgery as a youngster however they were too afraid to have it done at that point in time or the social circumstances did not allow it and then they come later on in life and say well can i have it now um but I, we have to understand why they want to have it now all right mm. is it uh, the uh, body image is it the pain is it the um um, um uh, actually that the function is deteriorating is the curve is is getting worse we have to understand why mm. and um i do not i do not um uh function alone i do not act alone i am a part of a bigger team called complex spine london where we have other surgeons, pain management consultants, um, psychologists, rheumatologists, physiotherapists, um, 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 radiologists, and so on and so forth. We meet regularly. We, um, we discuss complex cases similar to patients with a spinal deformity. Um, and then we, and then I would say, um, uh, please can you, uh, I'll tell my colleague who's uh, specialized in pain management, for example, can you please say, uh, see this guy or, um, uh, and that he has this issue with the pain and then we scrutinize their images very well, trying to find out where the pain is coming from. They see my colleague on the other side. Um, and then my colleague would say, yes, I found out where the pain is coming from. However, I could see that his muscles are extremely deconditioned and then in turn, they speak to the um, uh, physiotherapists in the group and then we gather again and say, where is Mr. Smith or Mrs. Jones is at the moment? Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's yeah, just, absolutely. It's not just the fusion surgery. The best way to address these issues at the, in this day and age is in a multidisciplinary environment mm. where everyone sits in a round table discuss the patient we actually have uh what's called an ndt clinics where i said uh, i get we arrange a, a date and time um uh, and a place where i will gather with my colleagues see a patient collectively in clinic and examine them listen to them and 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 have a discussion with them and say yeah that's that's the plan and we agree all the plan patient involved does that mm. make sense yeah yeah absolutely i've i've heard i've heard that a few times before that it's like you you need a team of of, of people really um, yes 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 there is there is no place now for a surgeon treating um patients you know from start to end where it's the, the you know at some point you know um i put my hand up and and i say well the answer is not a fusion surgery okay mm. Sometimes, sometimes I say that, I mean, more often than not, I say that, but sometimes I say, well, I'm not, I'm not ruling out surgery, let's say, but first of all, let me discuss it with my colleagues. They might, end, you might end up seeing a different part of my, a different member of my team. All right. Yeah. You will understand the logic and the philosophy behind it. Okay. Mm. And, um, you know, you, um, we are now more and more seeing patients who understand uh, this concept and understand this philosophy and approach and actually ask for it, which makes me feel really happy that, you know, um, we've, we have established service that, you know, uh, 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 
provides a collective decision. Mm. And sometimes I get the pain management consultant and the physiotherapist saying, Fadi, that's it. We've done it. We've tried our best. It's time to consider surgery, at which right. point I feel, okay, bring the patient back to me. It's time to have mm. a different conversation. Mm. Yes. While, while you were talking, I was thinking about one one client, and I, I've, I've heard this uh, a few times, again, with kind of a severe curvature and that they might have been told, um, you know, these are people who haven't seen anyone for years, obviously, and and maybe when they were first diagnosed as a child, they were told, well, your scoliosis is going to progress by one degree every year. That seems to be very a, a kind of a, a thing that has been said for, for, for a long time. And then they say to me, I, I don't want to end up in a wheelchair. This is, this is always the, this is kind of the, the, the fear, obviously, of it's just going to progress and progress. And what if it's 60 degrees now and I'm, I don't know, 62, what, is, what are the next 10 years are going to be like? So yeah, um, like yeah. The the thing is, there is a lot of myth around it. If you mm -hmm. if you know what I mean, as in, I I've never seen a spinal deformity or a scoliosis patients ending up on a wheelchair because they have uh, um, uh, severe curvature. I'm In very happy time, you're saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, yeah, it is difficult. Uh, to 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 challenge this thought in the patient's mind in clinic, I have to be very frank. Um, but I've never seen this happen before. Sometimes in extreme cases, they might find it difficult to pursue their day-to-day um, uh, -day activities as they wanted to be or as they um, as they used to do. Or I, but this is in the extreme of cases. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And um, and. Um, even in this occasions, um, these patients might need a complex reconstruction. And it is, it is um, when we reach the stage where the patient's day-to-day -day function has been severely impacted by the magnitude of the um, uh, deformity. And the, because with time and with time and deformity, that means that the mechanics of the spine is disturbed and that the, the spine is degenerating quite quicker than in um, other individuals with with no spinal deformity, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, at that point, we are considering a complex reconstruction. Again, um, we have to be careful, very careful with uh, with this. I do this operation quite regularly, um, um, and thankfully, Touchwood patients are happy. My patients are happy so far, only because they were well informed prior to surgery and uh, they were empowered to make the decision now that they understand exactly what they are signing up for all right mm -hmm. um the uh french uh, uh, spinal surgeons who invented this type of complex reconstruction in the older age uh, group they reckon that they have every patient will get some sort of a, a complication ranging from a very simple complication up to a, a, a massive complication and um, and once the patient is um, is um, empowered with this uh, with this information, then <clears throat> we meet several times in clinics. We try to understand what the issue is. We try to solve it uh, with conservative uh, means of management. And if that does not work, and we're going towards surgery, 
then we need it's all about planning okay planning the procedure quite carefully having the setup to, to to do it quite carefully and again doing it in a multidisciplinary fashion will secure the best chances for success all right mm-hmm. um but that's not to say that every single patient with a spinal deformity will require a complex reconstruction thankfully this is a small subset of patients in with, with extreme uh, uh problems and even in within the subset of patient understanding what they want uh, or what's the the most troubling issue we can do a smaller type of procedure that solves this issue and get them back into life mm. if that makes sense so for example um, if a patient with a deformity comes into a clinic and then they say oh doctor if you take away my leg pain i'll be very happy i don't mind the deformity that much at which point i could say okay let's just simply decompress this nerve root create more space for that nerve root or do a limited uh, fusion that would allow space uh, for this nerve root or a couple of nerve roots and then they are much happier mm. we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't done that massive op- an operation that takes them uh, offline for a um, a year or a year and a half to recover from but at the same time we solve the problem that was um, uh, uh, annoying them and they are back into their um, uh, functional uh, uh, lifestyle uh, they are back uh, walking to their uh, corner shop coming to you to have their yoga classes uh doing their uh, shopping they can go out with their grandsons or granddaughters to do um some shopping or play in the park or something like that and and that's it you know we don't have to um as they say in in these situations less is more if you know what i mean mm, yeah so are these kind of the main what i'm hearing are the main reasons for people having surgery is either pain or that they don't like the way that it looks but so yes. far i haven't heard anything of oh i don't know your um your organs might not be working anymore if you don't have surgery or anything life threatening I mean, again you thankfully we rarely face uh, we rarely face these uh, uh situations Mm-hmm. um because it, 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 these are really difficult situations and and that's why thankfully they uh, I'm really glad that they, they are not very common mm-hmm. um but you know for example recently I've seen a um a girl who um because of the extent of uh, of the deformity her respiratory functions were very poor um um but um and now we are we are discussing what to do again it's a it's a complex it's a complex situation because in order to anesthetize the patient and do the procedure they should have some sort of a um they should there is a minimum um uh, lung function that that needs to be there in order to perform the procedure so it it doesn't happen i i probably see this situation maybe once a year or once every two years thankfully but more often than not it's a deformity uh, that is not affecting any of the internal organs or the respiration or the cardiovascular system or the abdominal organs again this is one of the myths that is going around um but it's not entirely true
Mm. Well, I'm I'm very very glad to hear that. <laughs> so um, I'm just I'm mindful of time. Obviously, I know you're a busy man. Um, but maybe as a as a last one, wh what would you say are kind of some good questions to ask a surgeon <laughs> when you are kind of when you're kind of putting yourself in, into the patient situation? What, because I, I sometimes get this and like uh, that people say, oh, I don't really know what to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, what, so, what would be some good things to ask? Yeah, I think I think a good start would be what are the other options apart from surgery? All right. Mm -hmm. What can I do um, in order to avoid this uh, procedure? All right. And um, and there are so there is always the conservative uh, uh, route to treat um, uh, spinal uh, uh, problems. And I advise every patient uh, not to rush into uh, surgery, have their time um, having all the and, and non-surgical uh, uh, options um, quite carefully. Um, for example, the item of uh, physical rehabilitation, physiotherapy, yoga, Pilates. It's not just, oh, I had physiotherapy. No, I sit my patients down and I say, okay, who, did, who administered this uh, treatment? How many sessions have you had? Show me the exercises that you've learned, all right? And then I make I make the decision as in if this was a comprehensive course of physiotherapy uh, or I think you should see someone else or I think you should see a yoga teacher or a, uh, join a Pilates uh, classes. And now everywhere there is Pilates for back pain. It is not um, it is not rare everywhere that if patient if 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 my patients, uh, I always encourage them to look carefully, they will find someone who provides these types of lessons and and one-to-one -one coaching and so on and so forth mm. so make sure that you've done it uh, you've done it correctly before you uh, go into uh, this type of procedures and mm. also exactly what uh, what the procedure entails how many levels are you going to fuse and 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 so on and so forth um, and which part of my spine is going to be fused um is is also an important question mm. and what are we looking at in terms of the recovery time in terms of the risks and possible complications i usually quote all the risks um uh, with percentages because um uh, um i mean some patients they their minds work with uh, according to numbers if you know what i mean so yeah. if it's not it's not sufficient to tell them there is a risk that I might injure your nerves, okay, doctor. How how what's the percentage in the um, in the general scientific uh, in the in the general medical field, and what's your percentage um, of of injuring the neural tissue? Um, what are the risks of uh, what's the percentage of uh, having a wound infection and and stuff like that? So it maybe just goes slightly more into the nitty gritty of um, risks, complications, recovery time. When am I expected to go back uh, to work? When am I expected to go back to exercise? Um, uh, what are the do's and don'ts and when and so on and so forth. Um, so this is not jumping really into the into the future. But every patient needs to understand at least what they are going, how they are going to function in at least the first 
six to nine months or even a year after mm -hmm. the uh, procedure. After which, after a year, I think everything, it, you know, if everything goes well, then the patient will be back into normal life and hopefully, you know, uh, resuming all uh, normal uh, normal activities. Mm. Uh, is what I would say. Great. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, yeah, some some really good things here. I think that that people can can take away from this. And um, yeah, thank you so much for this. This was amazing. Well, and I saw me. there's lots of people um, watching as well. And yeah, I think I think that was great. Um, so yeah, if you stay on for another minute or so, and um, yes, sure, we will just sure. finish this this live stream here. So thank you so much to everyone no who was watching as well, and thank you so much, um, Fadi, for for answering all my my questions today. <laughs> thank you very much for having me, and uh, thank you for all the work that you and your colleagues are are doing. Um, I've looked at your uh, uh, channel myself, and I've. I've I would say the contents is, 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 is quite useful. And I encourage all patients with back issues uh, to look into, uh, uh, into your channel and into other uh, resources, which uh, looks at physical rehabilitation. Because um, as I said, uh, um, I mean, if, if the patient goes through good um, uh, uh, physical rehabilitation, pursue a healthy life, uh, style, we would see much, much less um, um, patients in uh, uh, clinic. And mm. uh, the number of patients, probably about not less than 30 to 40 percent of my patients, they, their problems are resolved by physical rehabilitation. So thank mm. you very much for your effort and for the uh, for efforts in, in yoga and Pilates and also for your efforts in raising awareness about these issues. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I would be super grateful if, if you could leave me a five star rating and review, which will help me to create lots more amazing content. If you have any questions or suggestions, reach out to me on Instagram at yogaberry.scoliosis or visit my website at www.yogaberry.net. <laughs>